Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. We want to warn our listeners, this episode could be difficult to listen to if you've experienced pregnancy loss or stillbirth. I mean, we're not saying don't listen to it. We're just saying maybe don't do it while operating heavy machinery. Or if you know that you're a crier, maybe not while driving either. How do you identify, if you do at all, with infertility or difficulty conceiving or difficulty having children? In terms of how I identify, I just tell people that it's one of the side effects of my autoimmune disorder. Because again, I was told there was a high likelihood I would never have kids in the first place. But my understanding of that and the way it was communicated to me was because my body wasn't going to get pregnant, not because my body was going to get pregnant and then try to kill me or the babies in the process. And I think if that's what had been told to me, I would have intentionally never had children. Ever. Meet Leah Deshay, an infant feeding specialist at My Pediatrics and Respiratory Care Clinic in Long Beach, California. She's also a part-time teaching assistant for the University of California, San Diego Online, and a freelance writer. There are two really basic facts you need to know about Leah. The first is that she has lupus, which is an autoimmune disorder. It's a chronic condition that causes the body's immune system and antibodies to attack healthy tissue. It's a serious illness. Forty years ago, most women with lupus were counseled to never have children. But that's changed. Today, with close monitoring, it is absolutely possible to have a healthy and successful pregnancy with lupus. But it's not a given. How many times have you been pregnant, Leah? Nine. Nine times. And how many living children do you have now? Three. The second basic fact you need to know about Leah is that she and her husband don't have health care through their employers. Over the last decade, they've had nine different insurance plans through a combination of the Affordable Care Act Marketplace and Medi-Cal, California's version of Medicaid. And that instability, that lack of reliable insurance, is one of the reasons why Leia's pregnancies have been complete and total nightmares. And so we basically just saw each other in small group and Bible study, and we talked about that stuff, and we talked about work. The reason why we're together, actually, I would say, is our kids. That's Leia talking about how she met her husband, Tommy Friedrich, who works as a welder and auto body technologist. They're an affectionate, gentle couple. And even though we talked about really difficult things during our interview, they were always smiling at each other and sometimes even laughing, even if it was just to keep from crying. Our pastor knew that we were both divorced. (laughs) And he knew that we didn't know. But it worked. It did. He's still proud of himself for that. (laughs) We won't mention his name. When Leah and Tommy started dating, they each had one child from a previous marriage. And once they got married in 2014, they decided they wanted to have their own child together. Leah has never had an easy pregnancy. She had four miscarriages before her marriage to Tommy, and she had begun to recognize a pattern with all of them. Right before her pregnancy loss, she would have a terrible lupus flare, which is when the symptoms start to get really bad and make you feel sick. First, her hair would start to fall out. Then she would begin bleeding. 
Thankfully, Tommy and Leia's first child together, Madeline, was induced and born safely in 2015, despite a variety of scary medical complications and personal misfortunes, including a botched spinal tap and both parents losing their jobs unexpectedly during the pregnancy. But when they tried to complete their family and have one more child, Leia's old pattern began to reassert itself. Leia had another miscarriage on their next attempt, with the same lupus flare-up and the same bleeding. And this is where that insurance issue we talked about comes into play. Leia had switched insurance plans and doctors almost annually during this period, and her new plan sent her to specialists to help her recover from her miscarriage. One of the specialists told her that her uterus was inflamed from all of her losses, and he thought she was entering early menopause, which made it especially shocking to Leia when she discovered she was pregnant again. Leia was terrified and didn't want to repeat her miscarriages, especially because her doctors had quickly discovered a cyst on one of her ovaries, which could endanger the pregnancy. This is the first time I had had a cyst. They were telling me that there was irregularities in my ovaries that looked like it could be cysts, but they ended up being like ovums and stuff that like didn't end up being released or they released late or whatever else was going on. But this was a real actual cyst. At this point, Leia was with Kaiser, which is an HMO plan that focuses on coordinated care. So her doctors were reading her complicated history and coming up with a plan for how she could move forward with this pregnancy. They had just agreed to transfer her to a high-risk pregnancy specialist who was going to help her decide whether to treat the cyst with hormones or surgery when something familiar happened. Leia was forced to switch insurance again, this time because her insurance plan claimed she hadn't paid the premiums on time. This is something Leia disputes. After a couple of months on emergency medical, Leia was moved to a federally subsidized plan on the marketplace with Anthem Blue Cross Insurance. This means that she had to start all over again with new doctors and new clinics. Her complicated medical history and high-risk pregnancy made it the worst possible moment for a switch. I walked into Starbucks to get a drink and I had just told Tommy that I had gotten really sharp pains where the, um, where this, exactly where the cyst was. And as I was walking to the bathroom, it was as if somebody lanced me. And I looked down and I was standing in a pool of my own blood in the middle of Starbucks. And the whole Starbucks went super quiet. I was surprised because that's like something you see in a TV show. There was actually a really old man who was right next to me on the table and he was like, honey, you need a doctor. But Leia couldn't see an OB. Kaiser had just been about to send her to a high-risk pregnancy specialist before she was forced to switch. But her new Anthem plan refused to even authorize a visit to a regular OB until she visited a primary care physician, took a pregnancy test, and also had an ultrasound. To be clear, Leia was in the second trimester of her pregnancy. She was already showing. She had months of records from Kaiser documenting this. But Anthem wanted her to prove she was pregnant. So basically they were saying if I walked into the obstetrician's office, everything that they were going to do that was necessary to diagnose me, they were going to give me the bill for. Now at that time, I'm pregnant, I'm working. He's still, he was at, in school trying to finish his welding license and taking care of his mother. We have no like negative money, right? And he kept telling me, just do it. Like, you just need to walk into the OB's office. So basically what happens is I'm calling the OBs, I'm telling them what's wrong, and even the obstetricians, even obstetricians that weren't in my insurance were like, oh, that's terrible. You need to come in today. 
And then they call your insurance and your insurance goes, I'm sorry, we can't authorize that because we don't have this paperwork releasing her into care and verifying that she is still pregnant. And so the OBs were like, we're still willing to see you, but you, you're going to have to pay X amount of money. And the least amount was 200 and the most route was 500. And that was like their collateral that they were winning. Because if you're going in and you want imaging, anybody who's ever had to deal with anything who, didn't, who doesn't have insurance knows how much this is going to cost. I, and I was asking them, remember, what are you going to do? They're like, well, we have to do an ultrasound and we have to do these labs. I know it'll easily be like $6,000. Leia and Tommy tried to get paperwork from a midwife who recorded the baby's heartbeat as proof she was pregnant. But her insurance wouldn't budge, even though Leia was actively bleeding. Finally, they tried to set an appointment with a general practitioner to satisfy her insurance. But the closest clinic had a two-week waiting list. So Leia had to wait and bleed and wait and bleed. And this whole time that Leia is desperately trying to keep herself and her baby alive, she's working as a contractor at UCLA. She's literally walking the halls of one of the best hospitals in the country. I was on the floor at UCLA. Yeah, this you had colleagues who were like, hey, I know exactly how we can treat you, but your, right. your insurance won't let us. I, I didn't feel well. I was like gray and ashen and all of these other things. I had felt extremely sick. I was running a low-grade fever for about three days. But every time we went into the ER, we were ending up with astronomical copay. And then we still weren't getting care because they're not going to give you like things like a progesterone shot or taking a cyst out unless you're literally dying. That's not going to happen in the ER, right? They will tell you it needs to happen and they'll send you back to your doctor. So... I almost passed out. I looked really faint. Um, and everybody on the floor was extremely concerned. One of Leia's coworkers at the hospital noticed her symptoms and got worried. She pulled Leia into an empty exam room and turned on the ultrasound machine. As soon as she brought up the ultrasound, he was not just dead, but like limp. And so like didn't have muscle tone either. And I just sat there in that bed and... and we just both sat there and cried. She was a friend of mine, and I knew she had lost a lot of pregnancies, too. And she sat there, and she held my hand, and she was like, this shouldn't have happened. I don't want to show this to you. I'm sorry, I can't. She basically was like, she was like, I wish you had been asleep so I could have seen this. And then told you. We sat there in that bed and cried for a few minutes. Leia and her colleague realized her condition was serious. Her symptoms and her fever could mean that the lost pregnancy had triggered a dangerous infection. If that infection got bad enough, sepsis could set in, putting her life at risk. Her colleague called Tommy and walked Leia down to the ER. And the doctors looked at it and they brought in a radiologist. They were like, he's, he's been dead for a couple days, probably. He had to have just died in the last 72 hours. And they looked at everything. They're like, you do have an infection and your white blood cells are elevated, but they're not elevated enough for it to be an emergency. So we have to send you home. And it was like, are you telling me I have to have sepsis in order to treat me? Like I have to wait until I'm septic with this dead baby inside and it was dangerous. And so then I asked them, and my colleague was like, that's insane, she's gonna hemorrhage. And so the doctors were like, yeah, no, this is crazy, let's call. And my insurance, same exact thing happens. That's not your hospital, you're gonna have to transfer. Leia's insurance continued to give her the runaround, and it took 11 days for them to agree to schedule a DNC operation to remove the fetus. Leia felt traumatized by the experience. 
In fact, I'm going to go ahead and give a second warning here because Leia is about to describe in explicit detail what it felt like to lose her baby, whom she'd already named Titus. It's heartbreaking to listen to, and it could be upsetting for people who have gone through similar experiences. The trauma of getting pregnant and feeling the baby die, I say that because people who have autoimmune disorders know what I'm talking about when you're getting a flare. And usually it presents the same way every single time. And it always feels like you're on a runaway train that you can't stop or nobody will help you stop. So when that's happening when you're pregnant, it's just this cascade of things. And it's been exactly the same every single time. Every single time. There was this moment, I'm almost positive I know, when Titus died because he didn't move for two hours, which isn't necessarily a long time. But it was different because he had never not moved at all for that long. I thought maybe he was just asleep, but my intuition knew otherwise. And then it was such frantic movement, such frantic movement for like 45 minutes. It felt like he was being strangled. It was horrible. But I told Tommy, I was like, I can never carry another life in my body and then feel it die again. It is the most miserable you go from feeling like an incubator to a casket. So there is a lot to process from Leia's story, and personally, it made me really, really angry. It's fucking outrageous. When I was interviewing Leia, we were both crying at multiple points throughout the three-hour conversation. But they were like furious, frustrated tears. We can't really know for sure that Leia's pregnancy would have succeeded if she'd received treatment for the cyst like she originally wanted, but she did say that by the time her pregnancy ended, that cyst was bigger than the baby. It was gigantic. And it just upsets me so much that because her insurance and her income is so unstable, she had to go through that when she was working and walking through one of the best healthcare facilities in the country. Yeah, I mean... Infertility is already really unfair. You want the same thing as everyone else, a happy family, but then some quirk of biology blocks you. But there's something darker about what happened to Leia. I mean, yes, her lupus is a problem. Yes, her pregnancies were always going to be risky. But it feels like the primary cause of her infertility is the U.S. healthcare system. Her issues are man-made, and it just makes it feel so much more cruel. We got in touch with Kaiser, the insurance Leia left halfway through Titus's pregnancy, to see if they wanted to comment on Leia's case. They didn't comment directly on what had happened to Leia, but they sent us this statement. I'm going to read a part of it. It says, For members who change their coverage for any reason and request that they retain our care plan, we work with them and their new providers to coordinate that continuity of care, including specialty care for high-risk pregnancies and other critical conditions. We also got in touch with Anthem Blue Cross, the insurance that wouldn't approve Leia's ultrasound to check on Titus. They also provided a statement, and here's the part commenting directly on Leia's case. We understand what a difficult time Ms. Deshea had last year, and we are sorry for her loss. Ms. Deshea enrolled in our product in May, outside of the open enrollment period. Unfortunately, Anthem did not receive any information from her related to her health during our enrollment process, including the fact that she was pregnant or any other existing health conditions. This information would have allowed us to work quickly with Ms. Deshea and her care providers to facilitate any access to care. That statement isn't the end of Leia's story. As we just heard, she decided she was done having children. But life finds a way. And when Leia started feeling a little bit funny, Tommy guessed why. And I just looked at you and I said, 
you're pregnant. And you're like, no, I am not. A series of cuss words. <laughs> After the break, we're going to learn more about the policies that have made it so difficult for Leia to get consistent health care and how they affected her final pregnancy. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. We were so happy that IVF and all got some attention. One of the most exciting things that happened was that it landed on Atlantic's top 50 podcast of 2017. They called our marriage, quote, passive aggressive. Very good, accurate review. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ringing endorsement. And after all of those reviews and messages, we realized that there was one thing we forgot to ask of you guys, which is to review us, to rate us. Yeah, we forgot to do the most basic thing, which is ask you to go to the iTunes store and give us five stars and a nice little recommendation. If IVFML helped you feel heard, it helped you find your community, or if it helped you come up with a way to explain your situation to family and friends, please let us know. You can reach us at IVFML at HuffPost.com. A lot of you guys have already reached out. Again, that's IVFML at HuffPost.com. Thanks. We're going to go back to Leia and Tommy's surprise pregnancy in a moment. But first, I want to step back and think about their situation on a broader level. I mean, obviously, their case is really complicated, and the losses that Leia has suffered are beyond tragic. They're more than anyone should ever have to bear. Their case reminds me of the fact that infertility isn't just an inability to get pregnant. It's also a term that describes the inability to stay pregnant. You know, some people can get pregnant all they want, but they can't carry the pregnancy to term. And then there's also the health insurance issue. Why does this keep happening to her? And how does all this instability affect her family and her health? To understand more about the policy side of Leia's story, I asked one of my colleagues at HuffPost to weigh in on it. His name is Jonathan Cohn. He's a senior writer who has been covering healthcare for about 20 years. He wrote a book in 2007 called Sick, which is all about the American healthcare system. So to me, this is a quintessential example of one of the great flaws of American healthcare, which is that we have such a fragmented system. Um, and we're fairly unique in that way relative to the rest of the world. Um, what kind of insurance you get depends on all sorts of circumstances um, and, you know, uh, how old you are, what your income is, what your job status is. And for a, a large number of Americans, uh, insurance arrangements are not stable. Um, they will change. Uh, 
uh, depending if you change a job or if your income level uh, goes up or down. And really the people for whom it is toughest uh, typically are people who fall into one of two categories. Um, they are people who don't work for a large employer because large employers, you know, most of them will provide health insurance. And if you stay with that employer, you just stay with that employer plan. And you can usually, frequently it's the same plan for at least some extended period of time. And then second, uh, people who don't have a lot of money because insurance is expensive and it's hard to afford. And, and Leah basically falls into both categories. Um, she doesn't have access uh, mostly to large employer insurance and she doesn't have a lot of money. And so we see this all the time. There's a word for it, it's called churn. Uh, we see this all the time where people are in and out of insurance arrangements constantly changing. And again, that's just not something you see in the rest of the world because typically they have one seamless system where everyone gets insurance from one place. So how does this churn, this instability, how can it affect someone's health? Well, you know, one of the things we know for sure about health and medicine is that continuity is good. It's not super complicated to figure out why. I mean, if you think about it, if you've been seeing the same uh, physician or nurse practitioner over the years, you know, they're going to have a pretty good sense of your big picture, you know, of your entire uh, health record, what you've been through before. Um, they will also be able to sort of uh, see, oh, you know, over time, the different kinds of health issues you may have. Um, and that means they're going to be better able to treat you. Um, so if you're constantly switching between these plans, there's a very good chance you're also having to constantly switch where you get your medical care. And that's just bad for healthcare. You know, you get these situations where the physicians you're seeing, uh, they don't know your history, right? Um, you know, they, they don't have that long view. They don't know everything else you're doing. And, and, and you also get a situation where you get a lot of redundancy. You know, you have to get tests taken over again because, you know, the records from the last one didn't make it over to the new hospital you're at. And, you know, and that is uh, not good for your health. I mean, there's, there's a higher risk of overtreatment for the system as a whole. It, it drives up expenses and you're going to have to pay more, too, because very frequently you're paying out of pocket for a lot of these. So uh, continuity is good. Disruption is bad. And in the American healthcare system, uh, there's a lot of disruption. And Leah is a perfect example of that. So as Jonathan explained, insurance churn means that instead of building a trusting relationship with a medical team over a long period of time, Leia has to meet new doctors and new clinics over and over again. And for a Black woman like Leia, that presents a really peculiar problem, which we want to highlight because it's going to play a significant role in Leia's final pregnancy. Right. More points of contact with new and different healthcare providers means more opportunities for racial bias to creep into the interaction between doctor and patient. Studies have shown that Black people have trouble getting their nurses and doctors to believe their symptoms or take their questions seriously. So, for example, research has shown that doctors routinely underestimate and undertreat the pain levels of their Black patients, while overtreating white patients' pain complaints. Remember our last episode when Eric had that testicular operation and he started having abdominal pain? Well, he's Black, and he actually told his doctor he thought he might have a perforated bowel. But the healthcare provider just waved him off. He even made a joke about it and said that if Eric really had a perforated bowel, he wouldn't be able to walk right now. Well, Eric did turn out to have a perforated bowel, and he almost died because it had been left untreated for so long. We wanted to learn more about how racial discrimination is putting pregnant women like Leah at risk of serious harm in the medical setting. 
So we asked Nina Martin, a reporter for ProPublica, to explain more about this issue. Nina is an award-winning reporter. Her 2017 project on maternal mortality in America really shines a spotlight on the rising rates of pregnancy-related deaths in the U.S., especially for Black moms. She talked to hundreds of families who either lost a member in childbirth or almost lost someone. And the project, which was a Pulitzer Prize finalist, is absolutely devastating. It says a lot about how we as a country simply have a problem listening to women. What I was finding was that what the women were telling me was actually really different from what the experts were saying. These were women who, some of them were overweight, some of them had pre-existing conditions, but many of them were perfectly healthy women who had had a life-threatening complication. And, you know, whether it was sepsis that they that kept them in the hospital for a month or a heart condition or a stroke caused by preeclampsia. So so first of all the doctors were you know telling me that it's all because of your age and your race and your and your and your body mass index that was clearly wrong. The second thing that we heard from women over and over again was that they knew something was wrong and they would tell their doctors, they would tell their nurses, they would try to tell people there is something the matter with me and people would say no 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 you're wrong. This is just what it's like to be pregnant. This is what it's like to have a baby. There's nothing the matter with you. Uh, I remember one woman in particular who was just so striking. She was a lawyer in Chicago, and her father-in-law was a doctor. Her brother was a doctor. Her sister was an OBGYN. She was complaining to them about her symptoms, and they were telling her, no, you're fine, you're fine. And her father-in-law had actually just finished examining her. She was having terrible headaches and and dizziness and everything. And he had just finished examining her. He was leaving the room, having pronounced her, you're fine, you're fine, when she had a stroke. She had preeclampsia. So I was hearing that kind of story a lot. This brings me to some of the most moving pieces in your project. They were about the fact that the rate of maternal deaths and complications in the U.S. are are driven in particular by one group of women, which is, is Black women. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about what you've learned in the course of this investigation? Well, people have known for a long time that African-American women are more likely to suffer maternal deaths and maternal complications, to die or nearly die as a result of childbirth than white women. Health disparities are endemic across the healthcare system and What I didn't know going into this project is that African-American women are are three to four times more likely to die and that that rate is much higher than for other types of disparities. And then African-American women have an even greater risk of complications than white women do. Complications from C-sections, complications from, you know, things like blood clots or strokes or heart problems. But they often have less access to good postpartum care because they have less access to insurance and less access to good doctors and and so forth. And then they face this other thing, which is obviously really important, which is just systemic racism and, you know, the way that medical providers are more likely, according to lots of research and also lots of interviews that we've done, black women are much more likely to be dismissed and told that their symptoms aren't real, their pain isn't real, they're going to be fine, they're exaggerating, um, et cetera, et cetera, than white women are. So all of these things kind of come together for African-American women, and, and that's why the death rates are much higher. This disparity in care explains why after so many misdiagnoses and insurance problems, Leia simply had no trust left in the medical system. She felt beat up and exhausted. 
I figured there was no, if I wasn't gonna get like decent care anyway, there was no effing point of me like fooling around and spending all that time going to the doctor. Like I was just incredibly resigned. She was like, okay, I'm gonna do this on my own terms. Like, you know, I'm gonna do it with all my experience, with, with my friend's help and with everything that I've seen, all the, the countless hours and deliveries that I've been to, you know, we're gonna, I'm gonna do this at home. I'm gonna do this with the midwives as, as, as long as we possibly can hopefully all the way to the end, you know, and that was her goal. Leah decided to entrust her pregnancy to midwives, hoping to put off using her insurance or the medical system as long as possible. And amazingly, even though she has a history of high-risk pregnancies, this approach worked. Leah made it to 35 weeks before the familiar symptoms kicked in, sudden hair loss and bleeding. Leah knew she was about to have a lupus flare and was worried she was now going to lose a pregnancy that was so close to being full term but she was also scared to go to the hospital and jump back into the system that had let her down. Still, her symptoms were getting worse. Soon she had weakness on the left side of her body and couldn't drive. Tommy was getting worried. So the midwives worked out a compromise. They filed paperwork for an emergency transfer to an OB that they trusted, which let Leah go to an out-of-network hospital and visit a top specialist at Hogue Memorial in Newport Beach, California. He was so meticulous. He got all my records. He read through everything. And if there was something that was in my record that I hadn't mentioned, I knew that he read through because he would say, hey, I know you mentioned this and this and this. I saw this in your record. Whatever happened with that? Did you get treated for that? You know, was the treatment effective? All these other things. He was wonderful. And I told him as much. The doctors at this hospital put together a specialized treatment plan for Leah and agreed that the best chance for her and her baby was an induced birth exactly the same plan Leah had formed with her doctor for Madeline's birth in 2015. They needed to get the baby out as soon as safely possible so that they could begin to properly treat Leah's lupus symptoms. But, and I am so sorry to have another but in Leah's story, Leah was only getting this specialized treatment because her doctors had declared her an emergency case. Once those doctors decided Leah's baby was big enough to deliver, they scheduled the induction for 37 weeks, at which point... Hospital protocol required that they transfer me to antenatal once they have a scheduled induction. As soon as they hit my insurance, they're like, oh, this is no longer an emergency. You have to be transferred. Your hospital, where this sort of high-risk case is managed, is UCI. So we were furious <laughs> for obvious reasons. Again, Leah was ripped away from the doctors who actually investigated and deeply understood her case and was forced to start over again, this time at UC Irvine Health. Leah called up her new insurance company, yes, she had to switch again after Anthem, and begged them to approve the same care plan that her previous doctors had put together. And for once, the insurance company agreed very quickly to do so. But unfortunately, the doctors at her new hospital did not. For two weeks, Leah went to her new hospital and asked to be induced. But every time, her new doctors refused. And as you were going back and forth, back and forth over the next two weeks, how were you physically de deteriorating? It was bad. Leah's vision started to become impaired. She lost feeling in her abdomen and started to bleed. She's had these symptoms before. And the nurse is like, yeah, the, you know, this is in her records that she's had this stuff before. And yes, they've done an induction. And yes, the child had was born. two successful inductions. And those were the only babies that didn't die. And I kept emphasizing that to them. So I basically had a moment of, I just broke down emotionally. And I was like, this, I'm going to have another, like another kid is going to die or I'm going to die. Or, you know, something really terrible is going to happen because this continues to get worse. And basically just nobody cares at all. But despite her symptoms and her situation, Leah didn't give up. 
She began calling in favors from all of her colleagues, getting them to call the hospital administration. She also filed a formal grievance. The hospital administrators began to look into her case and make changes. She'd never been assigned a specific doctor despite the severity of her case, and that lack of a relationship was a big part of the problem. Her new doctors had refused to authorize the induction because they thought her baby was too small and they wanted to do their own measurements. I was like, you're going off like what fundal height and vision and your own personal bias because you don't know what I look like in regular life. And I was telling them like, dude, I've gained 40 pounds. And they're like, oh, well, you still look really small. And I was like, I don't care. You've never seen me before. You need to go off of what I'm telling you and what's in my record. That lack of a personal relationship and lack of history dogged Leia throughout all of her pregnancies and would complicate her final one. She had to explain over and over again what her symptoms were and what she knew that they meant for her child. Leia suspects that in addition to her insurance problems, her race also played a role in her misdiagnosis and lack of care for her final pregnancy. While she was in her final weeks of pregnancy, going back and forth between home and UC Irvine, she kept coming up against young doctors in residency that seemed dismissive and condescending. And I was sitting there with one of the maternal fetal medicine residents and fellows. And she was supposed to be going back through my symptoms and we were talking about my hair. And I was trying to show her the bald spots, which thankfully have started. I have like peach fuzz in some of them now, but some of them are still here. But at the time they were just bald and bare as could possibly be. And I was trying to show them to her and she sort of rolled her eyes and like looked me up and down like, you know, whatever. And she types it. And then I was like, can you see them? And without even looking up at me while she's staring at whatever she's looking at the computer, she was like, well, are you sure that someone with your hair type doesn't always have these kinds of issues? <laughs> I was just like, what in God's name could you possibly, like, please explain to me what you could mean by that. And I asked her, I said, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. And she turned flush red. And she's like, oh, well, let's, let's talk about your other symptoms. And I was like, no, I want to talk about that symptom. Also, it's a benchmark of lupus, of people of all ethnicities. It doesn't matter what type of hair type you have or where you're from or what your cultural background is or what your race is. Hair loss is a benchmark symptom of lupus during a flare. That wasn't the end of it. Leia then tried to talk about the fact that the left side of her body had gone completely numb, while the right side had swelled up severely, another sign of a lupus flare getting worse. I couldn't even put my shoes into like rain boots, which I usually can do. And so I'm trying to get her to look at my right side. It's obviously different than my left side. So there's not even an excuse there. And it was so bad that like my skin was changing colors. It was just different shades of brown. Same reaction. She looks at it and I'm trying to get her to like touch my foot to palpate it. And she was just kind of like, like she went to reach for my foot and then pulled back and she was like, Well, it looks pretty normal for your skin tone. And I said, how would you know? (laughs) And I said, that incensed. After almost two weeks of this, she was finally given a one-on-one appointment, at which point a sympathetic and apologetic doctor authorized the induction. Because of the disturbing interactions she had with one of the medical residents, the woman who repeatedly dismissed Leia's symptoms, Leia and her family specifically requested that this resident not be allowed to attend the birth or care for her during labor. I'm going to give you guys the relief right now of telling you that Leia's baby boy, Magnus, was born healthy and happy. But the hospital didn't respect Leia's wishes. The medical resident who had been condescending to Leia was in the birthing room and played a major role in ignoring one of Leia's final and most dangerous symptoms. During the birth, Leia had opted for an epidural to numb the pain of the induced labor contractions. Everything was fine. 
up until about three hours before he was born. I fell asleep for hours, I think almost four hours, and woke up with a pain I have never experienced before in my life. I wouldn't even know how to describe it. I've broken so many bones. I'm, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I have cliff jumped and extremely hurt myself. I've been thrown from a horse. Like I've gotten really bad injuries. Has never compared to this pain. It actually felt like something was exploding inside of me. It was just searing hot, horrible pain. It was on the right side of my body and my abdomen. And so I communicate this to the nurse and she's like, oh my God, what does it matter? She was like, do you think it's the baby? I was like, uh, this is all the way like by the extreme, like close to my arm on my right side. It better the baby. How would the baby be over there? <laughs> the baby better not be over there, you know, which she understood. Now, for people who have never gotten an epidural during childbirth, one of the things that it comes with is an IV drip. Water is being pushed into your arm through a syringe throughout the entire birth to prevent dehydration and to make it easier to give you medication. To make up for the constant flow of water, epidurals also usually come with a catheter so that the bladder can release urine throughout the labor without the mother having to get up and go to the bathroom. You can see where this is going. So unfortunately, one of the two residents that I was talking about, all of those horrible interactions that were extremely biased because it was really only two residents who were seeing me mainly who were doing that was in the room at the time. And it was her who completely dismissed me. There was literally a point where I was still conscious that I was trying to explain to her where the pain was and how bad it was. And she was like, well, you know, you're in labor, you're going to be in pain. At which point I actually cussed at her. I was like, basically the, the B word. And I was like, you have never had a baby because I had asked her earlier. I was like, I have been pregnant. This is my ninth time. I have delivered two babies without an epidural. I know when something is wrong. Why aren't you listening to me? That was the last thing I remember myself consciously saying. And she looked at the nurse from what I remember and it was like, she must be going into transition. She's getting delirious. She laid me all the way down flat. I mean, literally flat, like 180 degrees turned up the Pitocin and walked out. The last thing I remember is me crying and like literally weeping and getting so dizzy. I was seeing two of everybody and everything was blurry and whatever, trying to explain to the doctor how much pain I was in. And my heart started racing and just everything started getting really weird. I basically blacked out. Her bladder was so full from the IV drip that it was putting pressure on her organs and blocking the baby's progress down the birth canal. After Leia blacked out from the pain, the doctors finally discovered their mistake and started draining her bladder. She came to after someone put a cold washcloth over her face. There was a lot of silence and the nurse said very quietly, it's really a lot. And I was like so angry. But as soon as they released it, he started descending again and my contractions got really close. Within 45 minutes, he was out. Leah and Tommy are happy to have their family finally complete, but the physical cost has been immense. When we talked to Leah, it had been only a few weeks since her labor and the catheter mistake. In addition to the usual struggles of having a newborn, she was still having trouble going to the bathroom. And for the first time in her life, she was walking with a cane because of the severe pain in both her bladder and her tailbone. We asked UC Irvine if they wanted to say anything on the podcast about Leia's experience delivering Magnus, 
and they sent us this statement, which I'll read in full. UCI Health takes seriously its commitment to provide each of its patients with the highest quality care. UCI Health stands by the treatment it provided Ms. Deshay Evans as appropriate to manage her condition. Leah doesn't know how long her recovery is going to be, or if she'll ever get back to where she was before the birth. But right now, she's doing something she's gotten very used to over the last few years, waiting for her insurance to approve a new checkup appointment. We want to say thank you so much to Leah and Tommy for being so willing to share such a difficult story with us. Thank you to Nina Martin of ProPublica, not just for coming on IVFML, but for everything that she's done to raise the profile of maternal mortality. And thank you so much to my colleague Jonathan Cohn for explaining these really complicated policy issues in such a simple and humane way. We also want to thank Leah and Tommy's children, and specifically the newest one, for sharing their parents with us for three hours. What's the matter? Oh. Yeah, but your diaper's a little bit wet. Is that why you're upset? You just don't like being in this position, and I know I'm hot. <laughs> you went to I'm sorry, Magnus. We're done. We're done, Magnus. Well, that's it for us, folks. This is the final episode of the season. I want to say thank you to everyone who stuck with us throughout this entire year. Ten episodes. That's so many episodes. One more than nine. (laughs) I also want to say I'm so glad it's over. Honestly, I'm exhausted. And I'm also exhausted, but I also want to say thank you to everyone who wrote in about what they liked and didn't like as the season progressed. We love getting emails, so please keep it coming. What I'm really looking for are ideas for more episodes. Do you have a topic you want us to cover? Do you have a family you think that we should profile? Email us at ivfml at huffpost.com, and a bunch of you have already done this. One last thing I wanted to mention before we sign off for the holidays is that there is a bonus 11th episode coming in a few months. You can think of it like a Downton Abbey Christmas special. And it's all about our infertility story, which isn't quite over yet. When we last talked about it, I was losing weight to prepare for a frozen embryo transfer. And you were fucking furious about it. (laughs) The good news is, is that I did it. Hooray! I hit the weight loss goal my IVF doctor set for me. And for people who want to know my weight loss secret, here it is. Six weeks of nonstop cold viruses courtesy of your socially active toddler. It took away my sense of taste, my appetite, and my will to live. A victory nonetheless. (laughs) I honestly should start a wellness lifestyle brand that involves toddlers sneezing into your wide open eyes. I'll be careful. Gwyneth Paltrow may steal that. (laughs) Okay, so that was the good news. The bad news is that the frozen embryo transfer was delayed. But not because of my weight this time. Hooray! But it's still kind of my fault. It's my uterus. My hardworking, beautiful uterus who's just totally sick of all this shit. The doctors found something in it, and uh, he had to figure out whether it was going to hurt our chances of a successful embryo transfer. So that's where we are, in limbo. We hope to give you a new update on our second and final embryo transfer sometime early next year. Yeah, we are keeping our fingers crossed, but, you know, not hoping too hard, because that'll jinx things. We're just trying to play it cool. Fonzie cool. Basically, we have no control over this process, and our bodies are just going to do whatever the hell they want to do. And I'm guessing if you're a fan of IVFML, you understand that all too well. So happy holidays, happy new year, hold your loved ones close, Treasure your uterus and treat her well. And thank you for keeping us close, too. We'll talk soon. IVFML Becoming Family is produced and edited by Anna Almandrala 
Simon Gans, Nick Offenberg, and Sarah Patterson, with additional production this episode from Natalie Jones. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.